0: Welcome to Buildings and Beyond.
1: The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment
0: by focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health.
1: I'm Rob Aldrich,
0: and I'm Kelly
2: Westby.
1: For this episode, I talked with Kai Starn and Katherine Paplin. They're my colleagues here at Stephen Winter Associates. Kaya focuses uh, mostly on green building certification for larger commercial buildings, and Catherine works on building enclosures, high-performance building enclosures, also for bigger buildings. And we're talking about embodied carbon, and this is an issue we're seeing more and more in more and more different places. When we talk about carbon, we're talking about greenhouse gas emissions, CO2, carbon dioxide is the biggie, but there's also methane, nitrous oxide, and halogenated hydrocarbon gases, HFCs, refrigerants, blowing agents, etc. When we talked about carbon, until fairly recently, most people were talking about operational carbon. A building uses energy. A lot of energy is generated by fossil fuels. Burning fossil fuels gives off CO2, and that was what we're trying to reduce. When we're talking about embodied carbon, we're talking about the materials themselves and the building itself, the material extraction, processing, transportation, construction. When you analyze the whole carbon picture, uh, people who do it rigorously do life cycle assessments or LCAs, which is a pretty rigorous analysis. We're not getting too deep in this discussion, but this is a, a quick conversation to talk about why and how and where we're seeing this embodied carbon issue come up more and more. Uh, We're all seeing it more and more. If you wanna learn more, A, check out our show notes. Catherine and Kai linked to some great resources. And B, if you can make it to Boston later in March, I encourage you to check out Nessie's Building Energy Conference. Nessie is the Northeast Sustainable Energy Association. Uh, March 23rd and 24th at the Western Boston Waterfront. I think I've missed one of these Building Energy Boston Conferences over the past 20 years. I've gone for quite a while. I'm looking forward to this year. Uh, A colleague and I, Nicole Cece and I, are doing a session on building electrification called To Electrify or Not to Electrify. It's a discussion or perhaps a debate on prioritizing electrification efforts, building electrification efforts. I'm looking forward to that. And also, I just looked at the program and there are three sessions focused on embodied carbon. This has been a hot topic at NESE for the BE, BE Boston for the past few years. So come check that out if you can. March 23rd and 24th, 2020, Weston Boston Waterfront. Go to N E S E A N-E-S-E-A.org for more info. In this conversation with Catherine and Kai, we started discussing why we're hearing more about embodied carbon these
2: days. We now have uh, evidence that uh, the amount of of carbon emissions from a building during its whole life cycle, on average, thirty uh, percent of that is is um, is from embodied carbon, is from building the thing, and. If you're looking at a 30-year proje- projection, then the first 30 years of the building's life, um, then you're looking at 50% of the emissions that will be due to that building um, being, being the result of embodied carbon. And all of those emissions are going in before the building even begins to be used so it's already there in reality uh by the time that that you're starting to use that building and that is that is a huge thing to think about when you start looking at the horizons uh that are projected for climate change acceleration and possible tipping point
1: yeah so if if reducing Carbon emissions, carbon dioxide equivalence emissions, is a priority. This is definitely something <laughs> you should be looking at. That's, I mean, that's huge. So, I mean, so basically, it takes build constructing a building results in as much admissions as it does as the building operating over the first thirty years. Yep. Very generally, obviously, very generally speaking.
2: Yeah, and this is uh, based upon uh, the. I believe 2018 UN uh, report on on uh, uh, climate change and, and, and environment emissions. So this is top scientists in in the world coming to a consensus about about this this number.
1: Gotcha. So that's worldwide. That's a worldwide yes. number. Yes, it is. Okay. Cool. Cool. And Catherine, you you wrote. A blog post on on our site uh, a while back about embodied carbon associated with different insulation materials and that's that's kind of eye-opening because obviously a a key way to reduce operational carbon is to add more insulation but some insulations have really big embodied or yeah embodied carbon implications can you talk about that a little bit
2: when you're talking insulation, it turns out that uh, more is not always better uh, because there are types of insulation which are extremely commonly used, uh, uh, namely plastic foams. And there's a rigid plastic foam board uh, commonly called uh, XPS for extruded polystyrene. There is a and there is a uh, sp- sprayed spray foam plastic insulation closed cell uh, which is uh, which is uh, also used uh, uh, all over. And both of these are uh, manufactured uh, and in the case of the spray foam installed with uh, a hydrofluorocarbon blowing agent. and that blowing agent has uh, something like twelve hundred fourteen hundred there are different estimates, but they're all in the well over a thousand range times the global warming potential of carbon dioxide. So when we talked about those um, those equivalent gases to carbon dioxide, this is one of that two percent of of emissions gases that are uh, completely out of proportion (laughs) in terms of the amount of carbon emissions they actually represent. Um, So what that really means is that when you go and and put something like this, if you put just one inch of this insulation into your your, uh, building, it's going to be 36 years, 40 years, it depends. Uh, There there are different calculations, but in that range, before you pay off, before you have saved all of the uh, emissions that you just spent in putting that in there. (laughs) It's it's a crazy number. One inch is not enough insulation. (laughs) So in reality, it's decades and decades before... Before you have you have uh, made up for what you spent uh, putting that in. I'm sorry.
1: No, that's great, and and that's it's a huge number, and it's 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 kind of jaw dropping. And I mean, are you mm, are you seeing a move? I mean, obviously cellulose comes to mind as what I would think would be the lowest one of the most one of the lowest embodied carbon insulation. But uh, is that accurate? First of all.
2: Uh, it, is, it is certainly among the lowest. Um, what you get into with insulation and with all materials is there's a reason why we're using these things. Yeah. There is a reason why this is the most common, uh, commonly used material for, or one of the most commonly used materials for, uh, for insulation, and that is because it does so much so well. For it gives you those two insulations give you among the highest uh, um, R value, that is, that is, uh, resistance, thermal resistance value per inch of any insulation. And they have other qualities that make them extremely useful, even sometimes indispensable for particular uses. Uh, the spray foam is a vapor barrier. It's an air barrier. It, conf- it conforms to any irregularities and, 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 and on and on. So, yeah,
1: no, like yeah. you say, this is, I mean, foams, foam insulation is, is so appealing for so many reasons. And it has been the go-to for many different applications of people, you know, people on the leading edge of high-performance buildings, and hmm, now maybe, maybe that will change a little bit. And we'll we'll put a link to your to your blog post and the and some of your uh, sources for that sure. in, in the show notes. But it's it's a
0: huge, yeah. Th- things are changing. I just sort of want to reiterate sort of what we've been talking about. It's really fascinating and it's a really big deal talking about this carbon that's front loaded into the buildings before we even move in. And, you know, I think what we're sort of talking about when we're talking about these installations and stuff are, you know, high performance buildings. We want our buildings to operate at a low cost. And, you know, that's been the forefront of our minds since the 70s, you know, of energy efficiency. Um, And we're starting to realize that these high performance buildings with these high embodied carbon materials release more total emissions than, you know, maybe a code minimum building with, you know, moderate embodied carbon emissions. And that's that's a really big Hmm. deal and sort of uh, startling. And, um, you know, we absolutely need these, you know, we're talking about net zero energy buildings in the industry a lot. And... We absolutely need those and you know we're not disputing that. Um as Catherine said, these materials have have you know po- properties that we need in, in areas. Um but it, just looking at the net zero by itself isn't gonna get us to the goals to stabilize the temperature of the climate in the time frame that that we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So so uh in your work, Kai, are I mean are there a few, a few materials. You, you've done a little bit of number crunching, uh, building by building, I think. And and what are the big? Um, I guess what are the big components where there that are big problem areas or big opportunity areas to to reduce embodied yeah. carbon?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the short answer is to choose lower carbon materials, and, and we can maybe get to that later. How to do that? In um, maybe using carbon sequestering, natural materials. Um, also part of that short answer is just to use less material overall mm-hmm. um, you know that's uh, one thing that we can look at early on you know different massing options but uh, in the industrialized areas the three main structural materials concrete, steel and wood are the are the drivers of embodied carbon um, by virtue of just how much fuel and energy it takes to create them, to bring them into existence yeah uh, Kai maybe I'll ask you I
1: mean Programmatic wise, what are you what are you seeing? How how are you seeing kind of your clients or programs starting to
0: address embodied carbon? Yeah, so in my world, I work a lot with green uh, certifications, building certifications, primarily LEED, um, and the LEED version four building rating system really has been the biggest market driver. Um, you know, up till now, uh, related to embodied carbon, in, in my view. So
1: people are starting to, a, a few people are starting to pay attention in the context of programs. It's it's just credits right now that people may or may not go after, but people are starting to look at it. Is that fair?
0: Um, I would. I, there's a growing consensus that. Overall, zero carbon needs to be our, our goal across the industry, yeah. and you know we've we've heard that from Architecture 2030, uh, who stated that the construction industry needs to be net zero carbon by 2050. Uh, mm. You know, sooner's better. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> but, yep. but that's sort of the outer goal. And that
1: are those goals explicitly embodied and operational carbon?
0: That's right, yeah, so we'll be looking at both those pieces. Yeah. Okay, cool,
1: nice. And Catherine, on, on the, what are you seeing on the, on the policy side or among clients about um, interest in embodied carbon? Or what would you like to well, see maybe is another question. It's a different <laughs> question perhaps.
2: One of the most important things at this point that we could do when we really look at embodied carbon is to make a shift in our priorities from building new buildings as the, the first thing that we want to do all the time to renovating existing buildings as the first thing we want to do all the time. Because it's a very simple and obvious thing that if you don't take down a building uh, and build something else in its place, or even just build a new building but especially if you if you take an existing building and you and you dismantle it you destroy it and build something else it's obvious how exponentially more embodied carbon you are putting into the atmosphere at that point it's it's tremendous and and we really can't afford to do that anymore
1: yeah this is this is a huge issue, and I mean, I, we've all run into that, I'm sure, with clients who um, want to build new rather than renovate, and it's it's much harder. I mean, that you know, there, there's you're talking about insulations, Catherine, with you know, foam insulations have a lot of advantages. Starting from scratch with new construction it makes it easier to, you know. Get good efficiency, get accessibility, durability, resiliency—all of those are easier when you start from scratch. But this is a huge deal about about the embodied carbon of that construction. It's
2: well, I think one of the um, misconceptions that should be dispelled is that uh, older buildings are are less efficient or or have, or automatically less efficient, or have uh, considerably less capacity to achieve high efficiency, high performance. I think that um, what we're showing more and more now is that, in fact, we, we can make uh, older buildings ha- uh, high, high performance, uh, high efficiency. And uh, you have to you have to get into also a discussion which we don't have time for here about what age of buildings because uh, over the past hundred years uh, construction and 150 years construction methods have changed radically scale has changed radically uh, and and uh, there there's a different approach for each era of building but. Um, for example, you you will find that it is uh, often easier for pre-war buildings to be brought into uh, a high-performing uh, status than some uh, '50s through '70s buildings. Uh, uh, and so, pre,
1: pre-war yeah. we're talking about New York City before World War II, generally.
2: Mm-hmm. A, okay. Yeah. Yep.
1: Pretty clear demarcation in the city.
2: But at the same time, uh, there is now a lot of work afoot to figure out how to make those 50s through 70s buildings be um, be uh, retrofitted to, to uh, perform well. Uh, one of them, there's a lot of focus, of course, on curtain wall now uh, because we're going to have to deal with aging uh, curtain walls. Yeah, boy there is also options like uh interior storm windows that people don't necessarily uh, know a lot about uh, yet uh but uh these can be operable and they you can even have basically interior curtain wall <laughs> uh replacement uh, uh that um that prolongs the life of your, your curtain wall building uh, and gives you a huge bump in, in performance.
0: Yeah. Thinking, just sort of uh, mulling over the, the existing building conversation, it's real interesting. Um, thinking about why building owners may opt to keep the building instead of tearing it down and, and building new. And I imagine that one of the drivers is cost. It's, it's more cost effective to reuse these buildings in certain instances. And uh, it makes me think of something that our clients often ask us is, you know, they ask for a life cycle assessment when they really want a life cycle cost analysis. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and, you know, I think what they're looking at is, okay, well, what is our what materials are we going to use? How much is it going to cost us? How long are they going to last? this sort of thing, and you know both use this employ this like life cycle approach um, where the life cycle costing the l c c is the direct monetary cost for a product or service um, whereas the l c a is the environmental benefits and they they actually can if you're doing life cycle costing. You're not so far off from doing a life cycle assessment too. You're looking, you're you're collecting your materials. You know how much your material quantities you're using, and it's it's not so difficult to um, to transpose those into the environmental benefits. And um, I, I I hope that more of our clients start asking for that. Yeah.
2: We're watching buildings get torn down every every day. Um, it's uh, it's really time to start thinking about the fact that uh buildings aren't disposable uh we we, <laughs> we really have made this in our minds into a disposable product uh, and it's it's not yeah. um and the poster child for this as far as i'm concerned uh would be 270 park avenue which is a a high rise uh uh international style a uh, uh, commercial uh, building uh, skyscraper that uh, is being torn down as we speak. It is uh, the largest such demolition at least ever in New York City and uh, it, it may be in the nation or the world. I'm, I'm honestly not sure. Uh, but but uh, it is being demolished in order to make way for a new, larger skyscraper. (laughs) And, uh, if somebody analyzes what, what kind of embodied carbon, uh, hit this, this represents, um, I, I think that this ought to become what, what Penn Station the demolition of Penn Station was to the historic preservation movement. Uh, uh, it's 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 a it's a wake up call that uh, we 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 can't afford to think like this because we won't achieve our goals if we if we continue to do this. Thanks to Catherine and Kai,
1: and again, I urge you to visit the show notes page. There's lots of resources. Uh, There's links to the Embodied Carbon Network, the relatively new EC3 tool, Architecture 2030, uh, several reports, blog posts about embodied carbon, about historic preservation. We decided to link to all these in the show notes rather than uh, have Catherine and Kai rattle them off in the audio. Also go to Nessie.org, check out the Building Energy Boston Conference if you can, March 23rd to 24th, 2020. And one maybe sobering note, since we recorded this, according to Wikipedia, at least, we confirmed that 270 Park Ave is indeed the tallest building ever to be voluntarily demolished in the history of the world. So, sorry we're not ending on a high note. Thank you for listening. Buildings and Beyond is produced by Stephen Winter Associates. Visit swinter.com for more info on us, visit swinter.com slash podcasts to get to all our episodes and to see the show notes, and visit swinter.com slash careers to see job openings. We have quite a few across all our offices, Connecticut, New York City, Washington, D.C., and a new office in Boston. I've been here for just about 20 years now, and it's pretty amazing working with brilliant people who really care about making great buildings, improving sustainability, accessibility, health, affordability, durability. Uh, It's a pretty fantastic crew. Thanks to the podcast team here, Alex Miraboli, Heather Breslin, Dylan Martello, Jade Alvarez, Kelly Westby, and I'm Rob Aldrich. Thanks for listening.